Hey, good evening. I don't know what's happened to your pastor, but uh, if you'd like me to sign an autograph, I will. Uh, that's, that's, that's way too kind. Uh, it is a joy to be here. And we have, just so you know, we have the exact same sentiments uh, towards Pastor Chris and Pastor Amber. We love these guys and, and so excited, man. I was so excited when I heard they were coming here. Uh, what, a, what a great, great, great mix. And I, you can, can you feel the momentum here? You know, what God is doing, and your whole staff is amazing, and uh, just really, really cool to see what God is doing. This is a good day. A lot of people are prophesying the church is going, you know, down, but I don't know who, they must be polling the wrong people, because I'm, I'm not seeing that, honestly. I'm seeing more people being saved uh, than we did pre-COVID. I'm seeing more people fill the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, we, it's interesting just to watch what God is doing, so we're so thankful. Um, I noticed that someone has put a spittoon here in the front. Um, it's a Green Bay Packers mug, and uh, so we've got that there. If anyone is uh, needing to expectorate, we have that there. No, that's fine. Uh, I'm really not a Packers hater. I was trying to figure out, you know, because being an Eagles fan, I mean, you know, our immediate rivalry is the... Washington W Commandos or whatever they're called, whatever, who, you know, I don't know if you noticed earlier on today, but you can see who's on the Lord's side. And I love Carson Wentz. He's a great guy, really is a great, great guy, but, but uh, I just believe the favor is on Jalen Hurts now. And for those of you who don't care about football, this will mean nothing to you. But I was trying to figure out who, who's the punching bag up here. And I thought, well, you know, I figured it was, I asked some people, they're like, oh yeah, it's the Packers. But I kind of, so that's kind of where it went. But uh, how many are thankful that both the Eagles and the Vikings won today? I just think that's <laughs> significant for us spiritually on that thing. But can we all just agree that the Cowboys are terrible? Can we get on that one, that one thing? Yeah, so... Who cares, right? Um, uh, it is so good to be in God's house with you. Thank you so much for those of you that have grabbed a prayer card and for those that have contributed in the love offerings. Um, early on, God laid on our hearts that if we made money a big deal, it would become a big deal. We just don't want money to be the big deal. We want the mission of Jesus to be the big deal. And it's been interesting to watch. I um, uh, hope this comment's not misunderstood, but it's been interesting to watch over the last several decades to watch as God has taken us different places. We've been able to, you know, minister in every state, every province of Canada, 50 and some change nations around the world. And everywhere God has sent us, he has always made a way. He's just always made a way. We, we, you know, there's not like, you know, hey, if you'll give $10 tonight, we'll give you a scripture keychain, you know, or whatever on the way out or, you know, it's, it's just God moving on people's hearts. And we just wanted to say thank you because You've enabled us to fulfill the call of God in our lives, and I'm so thankful the way that God works through his body to do that. And he does it through all kinds of ways. He also does it through some savings, right? And I mean, we think about it over the years, even our vehicles, God has enabled us to rack on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles, and he's just been so faithful. I always think about that, just just read this a few months ago again, and it just stuck to me, like the children of Israel wanderings, their, their shoes didn't wear out in the wilderness, I mean, they were out of style 40 years, but they didn't wear out. And, um, and I just think about that, you know, the blessing on tires. And I don't know, it's just, it, God is just so faithful. But thank you. Thank you for those who will pray for us. Uh, if, you're, if you feel an intercessory uh, prayer ministry calling upon your life, uh, typically people don't wear that on a badge on their shirt. They just do it in the secret place. And we would be honored to get on your prayer list, especially if you're a praying grandma. How many know praying grandma prayer counts for like superhuman levels of spiritual power? 
I mean, seriously, sometimes you see, you know, uh, a sweet elderly lady coming in and she's, you know, ever shortening, you know, and, and you know, in stature. But if you could see in the spirit, she's like 30 feet tall. You know what I'm talking about for real? And, um, and so, so we really hope you'll remember us in prayer. Thank you for that. Uh, finally, there are books and resources back there. We never spend too much time on them because it's easy to be super misunderstood on that. But, but there are materials back there that will really help you grow. And whether you grab our stuff or you grab some other uh, stuff, I hope that while you're hungry and interested in the things of the Spirit, you feed that appetite uh, rather than just let it be a passing thing, but kind of put some extra logs on the fire. Um, God in moments of hunger will really transform your life if you lean in. And some of these resources will be a help. Here's one. This is the ugliest book we have. It's called Divine Order. And it was designed at the Assemblies of God headquarters on Corel Draw, I believe it looks like. Um, but, uh, but it's really helpful material. It's all about the public use of spiritual gifts. Really, really interesting if, you know, like uh, particularly the communication ones, which we'll dive into. And it's got some great, some great folks. I did a couple compilation books for the assemblies. This is one of them. We've got like, I mean, with some legendary folks on here, but legendary in this area, Dr. James Bradford, who now pastors Central Assembly in Springfield, Missouri. He led, what, Crusaders something or other church. Uh, it was like a Chi Alpha ministry that had its own church and had a really healthy spiritual gifts environment. And he shares some of those things. Anyway, it's just real interesting if you're interested in that. And then finally, real quick, this Brown Square book, I didn't write. I just did the uh, preliminaries, a forward introduction. But this is a reprint of a classic life-changing book in my own life outside of the Bible. This is the single most important Christian book I've ever read. And we work with the Price family uh, for about 10 years, finally got their permission to get this back into print, um, called The Real Faith by the late Dr. Charles S. Price. He was actually had a very significant ministry here in this area. In fact, if you're familiar with the name Frank Lindquist, anybody ever heard that name before? So he would be the founder of what we have as North Central University, uh, founded out of his church, Minneapolis Gospel Tabernacle. Um, Dr. Price would go and hold huge meetings at ice arenas and curling rinks, and, and it was his ministry that really helped populate that church with new converts. In fact, Dr. Price was responsible, for better or for worse, for introducing Frank to his wife, Irene Lindquist, if you know those stories. Uh, she was uh, real uh, charismatic and, and outward and things like that. But enough said about that. Dr. Price had in his lifetime, he was the second most well-known Pentecostal and healing evangelist in the world, second only to the lady evangelist, Amy Semple McPherson, if you've heard of her. She was originally Assemblies of God and then would go later to found the Foursquare Church. But Dr. Price's ministry, he was, he was very, like he really went off well in northern United States and Canada because he understood a lot of like the Lutheran context and he understood a lot of the mainline denominational stuff. And he actually really had a way of gleaning out. Like he held to Luther's teaching of imparted faith, which means... Faith is not something you as a human being try to conjure up. You don't try to whip yourself up to, up into it. You don't sit around and go, you know, Maserati, 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 and, you know, believing for a car by just, you know, that it's not the practice, uh, the outcome of a mantra or of trying or concentration. But he shows us in this book that wherever the Bible reveals the source of faith, 
Faith is a spiritual substance, a spiritual ability that God alone imparts to us. And he's given to everyone the measure of faith. Everyone can believe when you hear the gospel, you know, the potential is there. And then afterwards, faith grows as a fruit. And it can even come, as we'll find out in a few moments, as a gift. This is the most helpful thing on this subject. And he really deals caringly with people that have misunderstood faith. Maybe you thought, you know, the reason why grandpa died is because he didn't have enough faith. How many know those kind of processes are very, can be very destructive in people's lives when you don't understand these things. And this is a fantastic. Um, but anyway, and also if you're kind of into Pentecostal history, sorry, but in the back, I got permission to uh, reprint something from a 1938 Winnipeg Free Press newspaper that kind of shares some of the context of his ministry. He's in an ice arena, um, and you'll, you can look at the picture and you'll see he has burlap laid out on the ice because he's doing the ministry and the arena's packed out. But he would advertise ahead of time, Pentecostal women and, and Christian women, bring your fur coats, which there weren't a lot of Pentecostal women with fur coats back then. Uh, but uh, bring your fur coats because when he would pray for people, very often they would fall under the power but they weren't like, it wasn't like this bungee slaying business we see a lot today where people fall over and get right back up. But it was, they would, light, a lot of times they'd be down under the power for sometimes as many as eight, eight to 10 hours um, and just in, in being, being touched by God. And so they would lay these borrowed fur coats, they would check them with a little label and they'd lay it on people and, uh, and try to keep them warm, you know. But lives were changed. Uh, you'll even read in here how a little 12 year old girl from Missouri went to his meeting. She was Methodist by background there, she was saved. She was baptized in the Holy Spirit in that week. She was called into the ministry, and the last night she ran out of the arena, and her older sister, who was married, she was just 12 years old, but her older sister, who was in her 20s, ran out chasing her, saying, Kathy, what's wrong? And she said, God just spoke to me that I'm going to do for my generation what Price has done for his, that I'm going to introduce them to the Holy Spirit and God's healing power. And of course, she would grow to, you know her as Catherine Kuhlman, but uh, some really, really cool stuff. So anyway, all right, sorry for the long thing, but I love Pentecostal history and I can't stop. Forgive me, Lord. All right. Um, so uh, can we go to the first slide from last night? Is that possible? I was going to start midstream, but I see we have a whole bunch of faces. I see a lot of... Uh, uh, folks from, oh yeah, there's our family. Okay, next one. So um, stand up with me real quick. Let's read the same text we read last night. We'll look at another scripture in just a moment, but this is the basis for this. If you were here on Friday night, we talked about the two sides or dimensions of the Spirit's ministry. The inward ministry, the Holy Spirit working interiorly, so to speak, inside of us has really everything to do with purity, spiritual and moral purity. And the two levels there, salvation, getting into the family of God. How many are glad you're saved? That is a work of the Spirit, Romans 8. And then sanctification, that speaks of then after you're saved, until we see the Lord or he returns, of our growth of becoming less like ourselves and more like Jesus. Then we discuss the outward ministry of the Spirit, where he outwardly empowers and clothes us with power for outward ministry. It's actually pretty neat and tidy. I mean, you know, God's divine, so there's some gooeyness between the lines sometimes, uh, or he loves to multitask. But with the outward ministry, the primary universal anointing of power for believers, what the Bible calls baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and when you get dunked in the Holy Spirit, you get wet on the outside, right? And we use the metaphor of the donuts, if you remember. It's my favorite metaphor of all times. If you weren't here, you can 
probably go online and check all that out, right? But then the next, an, an additional level on top of that baptism in the Spirit is these specialized giftings of the Holy Spirit. God wants to give us like Swiss Army knife general anointing, and that's desired by God to be cultivated and grown in our lives. But then additionally, these specialized giftings that God loves to sprinkle upon his people. And so he's just so generous. Let's read these together. Are you ready? Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans... You were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, and to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, tonight, as we just kind of surveyed the information here, that it'd be more than data, that you'd really stir us and stir new levels of hunger and desire in us to be used powerfully in ministry with your Spirit's assistance and giftedness so that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Use us, Lord, novices in your supernatural ways to show others your goodness. Thank you that you've given the kingdom of God to mere infants like us, as you said in Luke 10. And I pray, God, that you would show your glory, reveal, radiate your glory through these showings forth of the Spirit's work in our lives. Lord, I pray even right now you just begin to marinate every person in this room in your healing grace. Lord, I pray tonight that it would be so easy for people to receive from you that it would almost feel accidental or second nature for people just to reach out and receive from you tonight. God, we pray that you would perform healing miracles in this room that will literally change the way people live from now on. I mean, amazing. Come and do your best. But Lord, beyond that, I pray in the days ahead that you'll help us all to be open and perceptive of your Spirit's leading and welcoming your spirit's giftedness so we can represent you with more than just words, but with deeds as well. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 You can be seated if you like. Look at that last verse, but one and the same spirit 
works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. If you were here last night, you know, we talked about all the, you know, the, in the Roman, Greco-Roman pantheon of gods, there's a specialized God basically for everything. Some of them were more general, but a lot of it was just kind of an excuse uh, to aggrandize your sinful nature. There's a lot of stuff going on there. But, um, but with this, Paul keeps on centering these people back away from their recent pagan worldview and bringing them back in to say, hey, listen, when you accept Jesus, you're not adding him to all of your other existing religious beliefs. You are exchanging Jesus for all of them. The exclusivity of Jesus is central to the gospel. Now, if you're in a spot in your own uh, approaching God and experiencing him where you haven't yet come to that spot that you've you've, uh, said, hey, I now release all my uh, idols and I focus in on Jesus alone, I want to ask you to ask God to reveal himself to you and reveal to you the exclusivity of Jesus. He will do this. And he will show you his power. But if you're at a spot where you're saying, I'm not willing to let go of all the other stuff, that is a very dangerous, tenuous spot to be. And how many know we need to embrace Jesus and Jesus alone in our lives? Thanks for getting so excited about that. I think you're, it's just the end of the day. I know the caffeine's worn out and you're still digesting pot roast and stuff. But but this one of the same spirit works all of these things, not a different God for everything. It's the same spirit, and you probably notice all that same spirit, one spirit language repetitiously because Paul's trying to hammer this in. But I love this. He works it in distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Uh, linguistically, when you kind of do work, work in, the, in the original language through here, this individually probably modifies or speaks to each event but it's also likely, it certainly speaks to the person either way. And that's really important because think about that. Whenever you feel moved upon by the Holy Spirit in some way and you pray and you get some level of spiritual certainty and you decide to step out on that prompting and one of these gifts takes place, it's the Holy Spirit himself that was motivating you. Now, why that's significant is because we all understand probably on some level management theory you know, like for example, McDonald's, you've got the assistant manager, you've got the counter person, you've got the fry cook, you've got the window person, um, you've got the assistant manager, you've got the manager, you've got the regional manager, you have the assistant to the regional manager or the assistant regional manager, depending on what language you pick, and then you've got, you know, the uh, national one, and then on top, then you have Ronald McDonald, right, that runs the whole thing. <laughs> And uh, although there was that, you know, business coup, Hamburglar tried to take over, but thankfully Grimace stepped in. And so we have, you have this kind of stuff going on. And so we, we kind of understand this. And so I don't know about you, probably most of us have some levels of difficulty in understanding just how important each one of us are to God. Haven't you felt kind of insignificant at some point in your life? And, and that's helpful on one side because it kind of keeps our pride in check sometimes and mitigates that. But when it comes to this, think about this. God's personal spirit wants to move upon little old you and me to show his glory to other people and his love and concern. This is mind-blowing. I mean, I would have thought he would have sent like the assistant regional angel manager to send the paper trainee hat-wearing associate over to go, hey, by the way, you know. 
but the Holy Spirit is individually distributing, moving upon you and I and his church to benefit everyone, just as God wills. So uh, last night, if we'll skip ahead of the pictures and go to the one right after the pictures, a little background on Corinth. We talked about the four major cultural issues that were there at the time Paul was writing. And these are, it's us. And honestly, if you read the history, Corinth may have been a little little farther down the road in a bad way than we are in our modern uh, uh, culture. But they had a la carte religion, a God for everything, aberrant sexuality, substance abuse, and a negative view of Christians. Does that all that sound familiar, right? And so Paul's answer in this situation was not less Holy Spirit reliance, less manifestation of the Spirit. Paul's answer was more but healthy and in order, right? And so we see, and thankfully we see the, the, the tide turning on this, but for some period, probably the last 10 or 15 years, we've seen a lot of spirit-filled churches turn away from the perceived risk of opening up to the Holy Spirit and go to a more liturgical model where, hey, we don't even give shot for anything that's off, this, off the set list to happen. And we're seeing churches come, especially post-COVID, back to, hey, I mean, People want to experience God. Don't you come to church to meet with God, right, to encounter him? And so a lot of times we kind of give, a, you know, in so many church contexts, we, we want to make sure we give God through what, you know, needs, what we feel needs to happen. And we, we give very little room for the breathing in of the Holy Spirit in those moments. And certainly the Holy Spirit isn't all those things. I'm not dissing at all. But how many think it'd be all right to open up the windows when the wind is blowing and let it blow into our house a little bit and experience the goodness of God? So, so it, we need more of the Holy Spirit's power, not less. Okay, let's go to the next one. Then last night we unpacked some of these nine manifestation gifts. Kind of traditionally we break them apart by function, and this is based on 1 Corinthians 13, 2, where it appears Paul... It's kind of putting the gifts in kind of chunks. Some of them are verbal or communication gifts. Some of them are revelation or knowing gifts, and some of them are demonstration gifts, you know, to move mountains, et cetera, as he mentions. And so we'll do that. Last night we talked about uh, revelation gifts, and this is not like the book of Revelation and the four horsemen and blood moons and all this kind of stuff. This is God revealing to us, and this flows right along in line with the Holy Spirit's primary ministry of revealing Jesus. He is the knower of all things, and he's the revealer of all things. And so that it's kind of kind of cool. Now, again, remember that, uh, and, and this, you may disagree with this, may disagree with a lot, uh, apparently, because we have Packers people here. But um, the, you may, you may um, disagree with this, but my reading of Paul on this stuff is that he's not giving us the right to go, I have the gift of whatever. He's teaching us the Holy Spirit has the gifts, and we are manifestors of those gifts. So, like, uh, and I would be careful because I don't know what you do here, but I can walk into a wood chipper here. But a lot of people put, I believe, far too much credence on spiritual gift assessments. Um, and that they kind of the conclusions that can be, there's value if you just have a total blind spot. But the, the, a lot of people put too much credence on that, and then they go, well, hey, I like to tell people what to do. And then they add up all the columns. They go, oh, I must be an apostle at the end, you know. And... <laughs> And um, so, so they have they shut off openness to anything else God could use them in. 
Um, or else then they begin to falsely think, well, I have this gift, it's mine, I can do it when I want, and there's far too many personal pronouns in those sentences. And so, you know, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, and the angel told Mary, with God, how many things are possible? All things. And so just kind of that simple model, and, and just to be really honest, I've never been in a circumstance where I've really felt like God wanted me to tell someone I had some gift. But I have been in circumstances where I've felt unimportant, underappreciated, or I want to try, you know, and I've had that temptation. But that didn't come from God. And I think a lot of times people trying to find their identity in the supernatural ways of God, how many know it's, it's not to point the arrow to us, it's to point the arrow to him. So the kind of the language involved in this, I have the gift of whatever, it's like, I have the gift of pride, you know. Um, you know, I just, uh, I struggle with, I struggle with that. And I'm kind of not really big on labels anyway. I mean, appreciate achievements people have made and things like that. But these all point back to him. They all point back to him. So Revelation gets word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. You can watch last night's if you want to look more at that. These are fragments. It's not like when God uses you in this gift, you suddenly now know everything and every thought in your mind is stamped and certified by God. You have to begin to learn how to sort out what is your conjecture and thoughts and observations and what is a spiritual revelation? And we'll give you some tools on that in just a moment. Now, we're going to skip ahead two of them to communication gifts, if we can do that. You guys are, your tech team is amazing. By the way, your sound is really good here. Like, well done. It's obvious you guys really care and really take it seriously and really nice. Okay, so um, your coffee's even good in the lobby. Most churches, foyer coffee is like, it's like, we've taken the fine coffee they normally serve and replaced it with dirt crystals, you know, and it's like, but it was good. All right. All right. So here we go. Okay. So communication gifts. I'm not sure what happened with the spacing there. Sorry. That's on me. Uh, weird. Okay. All right. So it must be the Packers fans probably did that. All right. So um, now I'm sorry. So communication gifts. So these are verbal giftings. Um, Paul would say earlier in this letter, 1 Corinthians 2, that we can not only receive spiritual promptings or thoughts, but that they can be combined with spiritual words. And so it's kind of an interesting thing. He's like, God not only wants to reveal, but he also wants us to communicate his giftings. And so we have here public tongues and the interpretation of public tongues and then prophecy. Let's look at public tongues for a moment. There's some different camps of thought. Some people think that all tongue speaking is one thing, and if you do it privately, it's prayer, and if you do it publicly, that it has to be interpreted, and that um, it has to build everyone else up, but if no, anyone else is around, don't do that kind of a thing. Um, and then the other side of which I believe is, and I think there's strong biblical justification, that tongue speaking is two entirely different things. That when you are baptized in the Spirit, the ability for you to pray in tongues comes to every believer. But that secondly, you have public tongues and interpretation of public tongues, of which Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, not everyone is going to do it. 
and it, you know, any couples together that public tongues and interpretation. He uses exclusively the verb prosukamai, the Greek verb to pray for the private one later on, which he does not associate with the public, although certainly a public tongues could be interpret, interpreted as an intercession. But um, of this one, he says not everybody's going to do it, but he wants us all to pray in tongues. And so a lot of people have confusion on this. And, and uh, so let's just look at this real quick. So public tongues is an entirely different compulsion for the phenomena of speaking in tongues. When you personally are baptized in the Spirit, you are able to pray in tongues. In fact, and it'd be super technical over here, that gift of tongues business is never used for the private side. And so I, you know, I, for me, I try to be really careful. I do not associate the term gift of tongues with spirit baptism. When you pray in tongues, I do not believe you're exercising gift of tongues, and maybe I'm being too much of a technical word police. And, but I think it's just helpful because new people, when they come in, their association with the gift of tongues is the public one. We're in the middle of worship. When you hit the fifth key change, Brother Bullhorn stands up and auctioneers and Romulan, and then we wait. And then over here, Sister uh, uh, Microphone, she gives the interpretation, you know. And she starts out with, you know, my children, my children. Because how many of you know an interpretation has to start off with the name of a soap opera? It just is in the Bible, all right? And so, um, but new people come in and they go, oh, so when I get baptized in the Spirit, I get the gift of tongues. Right away, that presents a barrier to them because now they think they have to do something that puts them up for public scrutiny. An entirely different gift for a different purpose. So this is not the speaking in tongues that comes with um, uh, spirit baptism. This is an entirely different gift. When you pray in tongues, you build yourself up. But public tongues with interpretation doesn't build the speaker up. It builds everyone else up when it's done properly. Just a very different, a different function. So let's just talk about this for a moment. I mean, how do you do this? You know, um, first of all, if you've ever, you know, wondered like, how is that? Um, you know, how do they do that? You know, what do they do? They get ahead of time and they work it out and then they, you know. This is spontaneous combustion from the Holy Spirit very often. Now, God could prompt you ahead of time and maybe we have some that have been used in this way. Uh, that um, and, and Paul's allusion here, the, kind of the way he speaks, even using the personification noun interpreter later on in 14 would speak of someone that's consistently used in this gift and recognized as such in a group. So you probably have in every church, you have a handful of people that are used in these. And very often too, you know, they're not there. God can use a pinch hitter anytime he wants because he's God, right? But, um, and it seems like a lot of times it would fall upon a spiritual leader if there's kind of a dangling out public tongues that's not been interpreted. I know when I've been in that spot, I'm like, okay, God, I'm on deck. I don't feel it, but I'm on deck. If you need me, you know, I'll be willing to do that. And, and, um, and sometimes he's used me rarely. It's not really one I'm typically used and I'm used more in the gift of criticism. But, um, <laughs> but uh, with this, it kind of gives us the idea that maybe these people would be a known commodity in our church. You would have some level of of, of a, a knowledge within the community. Oh, yeah, that's, you know, Sally, that's John. We know them, you know. And so I'm always uh, very, 
my immediate thing whenever we're in a service and there's a tongues interpretation or prophecy communication gift, I immediately look at the pastor because you can tell right away if it's okay or not. Um, uh, not or it's okay or it may not be okay because they look and they go or they recognize the voice or they look and you can see they're comfortable with that because that person is a known commodity. And looking at the shepherd's actually a pretty good, now that everyone, all the eyes are going to be on you, but looking at the shepherd or at leaders is a good thing because they know stuff we don't know. And you get someone that just came in, you know, man, they've had three Red Bulls and, you know, they're you know, half Scientologist, half Jehovah's Witness, half, you know, whatever, and, uh, and all mixed up, and, and they come in, and, you know, I guess somebody could stand up right now and blurt out, you know, thus saith the Lord, there are five people in the Trinity, you know, whatever, and, you know, if it's a person that's not known in our faith community, you watch the moment they begin to speak, the leaders are on edge, because not because they're looking to quench it, but they're going, hey, I don't know who you are. And I challenge you, if you're beginning to be using this or you're in a, another context that's, you know, you're at a retreat or something, you're visiting a church, I challenge you, be really sensitive. It's, you can hold your peace. You're not going to get booted off the network. Go find a leader and say, hey, you don't know me, but I really feel like God is giving me something. A lot of people are afraid that if they kind of hang on to it, that they're going to lose it. But these gifts, according to the teachings of Paul, need to happen in the structure where they can be accepted, they can be heard, and they can benefit everyone. And if you just go like a, a cavalier renegade in on these things, then you are now having to overcome all sorts of barriers that are entirely unnecessary for you to do so. Um, plus, if you have the leader's validation on that, that makes the gift even stronger in those ways. And so just some things to think about when you're in a smaller church, you can have, you know, everybody knows each other and you could have somebody in the back corner, you know, holler out for the Lord would say unto thee or whatever it is. You know, I don't know why people get all King Jamesy on that because, but they do. And, um, you know, try to fish out those words. But um, the, in those moments when you're in a very small group and everybody knows each other, it's one thing, but this is a pretty big room and it very well could be that you're best attempt at trying to be heard in this room that only the people around you in, in your section or half the room could hear you. And certainly the people online can't hear you. If this, is, if this is not involved in it, no one outside of this room, no one online can hear. Now, do you think that if God was giving a gift, a vocal gift to the church, um, that he would want everyone, even those that are shut in, shut out, in-laws, outlaws, whoever it is online, you know, people that can't come because of either sickness or vulnerability or laziness, whatever the reason might be, that, um, and I'm talking to you, if you're in pajamas right now, <laughs> eating ice cream, get your carcass in the house of the Lord next Sunday, all right, but that's a prophetic word, but, um, but this enables everyone to hear and everyone to be benefited. Plus, people are afraid of these microphones. The microphone has never killed anyone that I know of. Maybe there's some bizarre story. Florida man killed by a microphone or whatever. But, but um, you know, I don't know why people are afraid of public speaking. Have you heard that? People's biggest fear is public speaking. Why? It's like my biggest fear? Being fed feet first into a wood chipper <laughs> while Nickelback music is playing. <laughs> And being fed liver and onions, you know, by someone in a Packers jersey. So that, those are just, no. But um, these, these things are serious. These are serious giftings. When you speak out in this way, you are saying, to the best of my ability, 
I believe God's Holy Spirit is right now prompting me. And to casually, you know, try to, well, I'll try to do my best for back here in the corner. And I know I've got, you know, a, a soft voice and whatever. And I, the people probably won't hear, but eh, who cares? Just getting it done is all I need to do is a very cavalier way of taking something very sacred. It needs to be put under the scrutiny of the body because the body's response biblically is to sort through it. Let the prophet speak in turn two or three and then let everyone pass judgment on these things. And so it requires that everyone hears and everyone understands. So these are, these are not things that we just kind of go, like I've been in services where someone will give a tongues and interpretation or prophecy and then everybody claps and then we go right on with the service like nothing happened. Like the mere appearance of the gift was all that mattered not the content, but that's not the way it is. It's what is being said. What is the Holy Spirit highlighting to us that we need to be prayerfully reactive to? And tongues and interpretation or prophecy are then to be judged and weighed and then prayerfully responded to. So just to have it happen and then not do anything about it, we kind of sometimes fail on the body side of that. No wonder sometimes people can kind of get a roll the eye. Oh, here we go. Boy, I hope we don't have any visitors, you know. Brother Rubber Lips is prophesying again. Oh, good night, you know. And, and, um, and so when we take these things really seriously and we, we understand the sacredness and the sobriety of these things, we all have a responsibility uh, to kind of operate in those things. Prophecy is more of a direct um, speaking, typically attributed directly from God to us, but there's nowhere in the Bible that says a tongues with interpretation is necessarily a downward prophetic word of God for us. Um, that's something kind of in our Pentecostal culture. I've even heard people say you can either have a prophecy or you could have a tongues and interpretation. It's the same thing. But that biblically, there's no justification for that. In fact, whenever we hear the content of tongues in the Bible, what is actually being said, it's always upward in nature from the person to God, either a declaration of worship or intercession. Now, could you have a prophetic tongues? Certainly, because we see great examples of the blending of the gifts together. But if all of our interpretation of tongues that we ever experience in the church is a thus saith the Lord, I'm talking to you thing, then we're missing the essence of this gift. This is a spirit, typically a spirit-inspired upward thing, and people don't like to hear that because it's not the way we've done things, but there is no Bible on a, a utterance of tongues being downward from God. Chirp. Chirp, 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 crickets, right? But how many know we got to go with the Bible on this stuff? And so, you know, a lot of times if you're feeling that downward message from God, maybe pray and say, Lord, is this a prophecy? And, um, and a lot of times, too, in our culture, people are afraid to actually have the accountability level of speaking directly in English on those moments. So instead, they kind of allow God to kind of boil their water, and then they just speak in tongues out loud. And I, I don't know all the dynamics. I don't um, think that I know everything because I don't. I barely know anything, honestly. But I think we just need to be really cautious in every moment that we feel the Spirit's leading. We need to be accountable to His uh, leading every step of the way rather than just make big sweeping assumptions. Well, the last time God used me and I felt this way, I spoke in tongues out loud. We need to say, God, what would you have me to do right now? How can I follow you and just follow him in baby steps, uh, which is a wonderful devotional. So um, communication gifts. Now, in broad speech, how many would like God to affect your mouth 
every day in every way, you know, beyond these public giftings. And how many are sitting by someone that has a real difficult time controlling what they say? They're just the worst. I'm so glad you didn't raise your hand. Your people are so nice. I was going to say, just like you're out of control raising your hand. But um, what would it be like if there was even a 24-hour period of time in any one of our lives where we really restrained our words without prayerful consent on anything we said? I wonder what a fruit of that kind of a day would be like. Giving God kind of dibs on our speech. Because really, Paul would go on to say in chapter 14, all of you can prophesy. Did you know that? This is one of the universal gifts. In fact, even, you know, it comes with the whole Pentecostal baptism that you believe God to empower your words to speak to other people. Turn to your neighbor and tell, point out and say, you can prophesy. I mean, that's kind of weird to hear from, so it's fine to say, it to, but it's kind of weird when the finger's pointed at you, right? It's like, man, I need to read more Shakespeare so I can get those Elizabethan pronouns down. <laughs> Behoovest thou and all that stuff, you know? And, and, uh, but um, God is looking for us. It doesn't have to be super formal a structure. You could literally, you know, I've, I've been in services before where someone that's brand new to it feels and their the pastor's helping them and they're like, well, I just kind of feel like, I don't know, God is showing me this and I don't know, what do you think about that? And it feels really casual, but for us as a listener, it has great weight and power because even though it's just someone that's tentative and trying to hear from God, the, uh, the invisible power of the Spirit is undergirding what they're saying, and it really has great impact and transformative effect in us. And so, so you know, you don't, you don't judge these things just on surface appearance. I heard someone tell me one time, this is kind of funny, but they, they came up to me and they're like, I don't, I'd been teaching on discernment, and, and they came up and they go, I can, I can always tell right out of the gate when a prophecy or an interpretation is from God. I'm like, how? And they go, because it always starts with my children or my people. Those are the good ones. I was like, okay, thanks. Next, you know, come here. So, uh, but, um, you know, this doesn't, doesn't work that way. You don't judge those based on, you know, human intellect or reasoning. You judge them based on the sense of the spirit that's there. So let's go back and let's look finally at the last one, demonstration gifts. And so demonstration gifts, these demonstrate the power of God in a very unique way, we kind of metaphorically associate these with the hand of God, you know, like Jesus laying hands upon the sick and they'll recovering, or the apostles in the early church doing the same, or, or even like the miracles of Jesus uh, that are beyond healing, where he took the bread and the loaves and the fish and he fed 5,000 all-you-can-eat filet of fish sandwiches, and the Tupperware ladies were ecstatic because they had to find extras, you know, to, to keep the leftovers in. And, and so you see these, these hands-on, the hand of God, you know, uh, mountains being moved into the sea kind of things taking place. So here we have gifts of healings. And in the original language here, the word gifts is plural and healings is plural. And then you have workings of, so that speaks of physical recovery. Then you have workings of miracles, which is energema, dunamis, energema, activities, powers, workings, 
um, of miracles, and that word there, miracles, is dunamis. It's, uh, you've heard that word power. It's uh, related to that word, you'll receive power. And this is much broader. I've heard people say, I th- for me personally, I think a lot of folks jump to very specific conclusions on these when they're designed to be very broad and open. And in fact, all of Paul's lists are kind of ad hoc. Paul's not saying, these are the only nine things the Holy Spirit can do. These are the only, there's only nine levers on his vending machine and that's it. Only nine tools in his toolbox. But he's giving a sampling to the Corinthian believers when they come together. These are the common, most expected ways God can move among you. Things you'll see, you know. How uh, I many know God can do anything, right? And, and so um, we have these gifts of healings. You have workings of miracles. I've heard people say, well, so a healing is when you have a slow physical recovery, like a marination miracle, and uh, workings of miracles as when it's instantaneous, like a microwave, you know. The Bible doesn't give us any reason to believe that. Um, in fact, while healings are miraculous, I think by the language and by the text and, and biblical usage of this, we're typically talking about uh, much broader than physical healing. We're talking about other things here. There's already a gift category for physical recovery. We're talking about God doing all sorts of extraordinary things. For example, how many have ever experienced a protection miracle from the Lord? You know it probably because you know there's at least one time in your life whereby you should already be dead, you know? How about provision miracles, you know? Um, guidance. I mean, all kinds. I mean, there's oodles and oodles and oodles of things that you see God doing. Uh, anybody in this room, you can think of a time when you received a, at the last minute to the penny, you know, miracle paying off an apartment, you know, thing or, you know, whatever. You, you see God's hand in these things. The reason why all of this is here uh, is miracles. This property, I, I guarantee this church couldn't afford the property when they bought it, you know, and God makes a way, and the vision that's here, and the, you know, all this stuff. How about missionaries? Good night, you know. You want to hear some miracle stories, talk to missionaries. That's their life, living by faith. And, and so very, very interesting, uh, stepping out. And then finally, gift of faith. This, by its, its language, speaks of some more specific faith. So we have in the Bible, we have general faith which basically is based on the statement, God can. And this is typically, we pray generally under, or typically under general faith. God, you can do anything. So Lord, would you come and heal grandma? Oh Lord, you know, she's suffering. She has that terrible ingrown toenail in her face. It's awful, Lord. I can't even look at her, you know. God, if you can do anything. If not, just forgive me that I never look at her again, you know, but you pray that prayer. You pray under general faith, God can. And this is probably the basis on which we most typically pray, but that's based on a very real faith because we believe that God is, and he rewards those who, who diligently seek him, Hebrews, that the basis of our faith is the existence of God. And then on top of that, because he is, because he has all power, we kind of build that out and we, we pray for those things. Vast majority of time when I pray for someone to be healed, I'm praying under, I mean, I wouldn't even hazard a guess, but you know, high in the 90th percentile, when I pray for someone to be healed, I'm praying under general faith with no specific revelation that it's actually God's going to do this right now. And so I don't try to pin the person in the corner. Do you believe right now that God's going to, you know, why create tensions that don't need to exist, right? Why make it difficult? Uh, why not just go, hey, let's pray and see what God is going to do. And honestly, I, 
please understand where this is coming. We see a lot of people healed. I do not have any special healing gift. I never have. Um, there have been times when there's been unique grace for a season or something like that and a specific purpose and, and all those things. And we've seen crazy things, man. I've seen people vomit out cancer on the ground, tumors. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Nuts. Um, blind see, born blind, both eyes see, born deaf, both ears hear. I mean, wild stuff. I've never contributed anything to that moment. Matter of fact, most of the time, I'm pretty sure nothing's going to happen when I'm praying. But how many know when you pray and you care for people and you bring them to the Lord, you open up opportunities for God to show his glory in their lives? And so I try not to try to stay out of my head space and out of the mind game, but you have general faith. But then this gift appears to be more of a specialized faith, given a unique dosing of faith, probably for specific purposes or specific effects. Like, for example, how many of you have unsaved loved ones? And I always have to ask the other hand question, how many of you are unloved saved ones? We always have some of those. Okay, God bless you. I see that hand. So... Um, but if you have unsaved loved ones, perhaps you have that family member that you've been praying for and praying for and praying for, and you're praying for out of general faith. Oh, God, I don't want to see, you know, Cousin Joe go to hell, so, you know, Lord, Lord, save him. You know, you're just praying out of general faith, which is awesome and very powerful. You're inviting God there. But then one day, out of the blue, maybe you don't even know how language for it, but you just receive this courage or this promise from God where all of a sudden you know Joe is still living like the devil, but you just know he's going to get saved. And so now you're not praying out of general faith that says God can, but God is, it's a little revelatory too. God has shown you that he's at work, and it's almost like instead of saying God can, you're like, God, I know you will. And there's just this different faith knowing that can take place, and it's something that people can try to concentrate themselves into, but it's not real when you do that. And general faith is very powerful, but probably each one of us at different times will experience a unique distribution of faith in this way. And I've found, too, honestly, there have been times that I've prayed I, I, from when I was 14 years old and felt called to ministry to teach on the Holy Spirit with a special focus on, on spirit baptism. I began to pray like God, because I don't think there's any, no one has the gift of being able to give the Holy Spirit baptism to people. Jesus alone is the baptizer. But I began to pray, Lord, would you give me special faith to believe God, for, to believe you for that? And it's not there all the time, but there's sometimes when that just settles in on you and you just know. And, you know, we had this past summer, we had, you know, 600 and some people baptized in the Holy Spirit in one service for the very first time. That wasn't me, but it was very interesting when it kind of didn't start out so good and the altars was kind of clunky. And then all of a sudden, it was like I could feel this sense that I've sensed many times the the Holy Spirit standing up inside of me to a posture taller than I can achieve by myself. It's like he fills you with spiritual bravery and, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, something's and and kaboom, you know, these things happen. And it's not attributed to us, but it's God like letting us in on something kind of, you know, it's his grace in that way. Hey, watch this, buddy. I'm going to bowl a strike, you know. And it's, it's, it's just kind of that ahead of time. And again, it's nothing that we can, you know, go, hey, check out who knew ahead of time. Because if you do that, then you got to pray for pride to leave your life, you know. But it's just one of these really wonderful things. And often this gift of faith stuff becomes very strong in people that really take intercessory prayer, praying for others very, very seriously. Revelation gifts tend to flow there honestly. The more you pray, the more God works in your life, right? 
And so, uh, so very, very interesting on these things. Now, let's look at this final scripture before we, we land this plane, because it's late. It's midnight already. So 1 Corinthians 14, 26. This is a really intriguing verse. I think it could be misunderstood to go, oh, dismantle all form and all leadership in church, and just everybody get in a kumbaya circle and pass the mic around and have, you know, open mic, American Idol, church idol, you know. Everybody do, oh, Sister Smith's going to prophesy. Brother Joe's going to lay an egg, you know. Pastor Chris has a human video. You're just going to go down the line, you know, all this kind of a thing. That's not really what this verse is saying. In context, the Apostle Paul is saying, when you come to church, don't just have your catcher's mitt on, but have the expectation that God may want you to pitch as well. He's saying, when you come, come with an open expectancy of how God could use me. Now, how many of you know on the way to church, if you have kids, the devil's going to stir up a fight in the car? Man alive, it is the octagon and the dodge dart on the way to church, right? I mean, good night. But this really speaks to us coming with a prepared heart uh, to hear from him and, and this open expectation. So I challenge you, rather than just getting here at, at the, this is us, We're, I'm, this is like God's favorites here. He kept all the riffraff away. So I challenge you, like, make it a point, even if you could get to church 10 or 15 minutes early and spend some time in prayer, leaning in and listening, you're saying, God, do you have anything for me to do? do you, you know, I just want to be ready. I want to hear you. And why this is important, uh, when I was like, I don't know, 10 years old, a, a historically very renowned Bible teacher came to our church. He was the Assemblies of God at that point, Bob Mumford, if you ever heard his name. One of the best gift of teaching ever. Yeah, fantastic teaching gift. And his books are, I think he's still alive, actually, way up in his high 90s, but really an extraordinary teaching gift. And I'll never forget the metaphor he used about something else, but I want to apply it here. Have you ever been out in the yard working on a hot summer day and uh, you get thirsty, but maybe you're dirty, you're digging flower beds or something. So what do you do? You grab the hose, you crank on the faucet, and you get yourself a nice, refreshing mouthful of hot rubber hose water. You've done that before, right? So it's still water, but it has some bonus features like algae and sea monkeys and, you know, petroleum flavor, you know. It's like a, drinking a kerosene latte, you know. I mean, it's... It's hot and foamy and tastes like rubber, you know. Um, well, it's, the issue is that it's not that it's water, but the water is fine from the faucet, but the conduit that it has passed through, it has picked up the flavor and temperature of that conduit. And if we really want to be used of God, we're the conduit in this. We're the hose. God's the water, and people need to be refreshed and built up on the other side. And for us to come unprepared into spiritual environments is pretty much a recipe for failure on our part. And probably the reason why you and I aren't more open to being used of God is because we're afraid we're going to fail. I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to prophesy, and I'm going to be in the middle of, you know, prophesying, and all of a sudden, instead, I'm going to switch, you know, to the lyrics of some Van Halen song or whatever, you know. I'm going to be, like, right in the middle of the Lord would say, and all of a sudden, I'm like, sit down, Waldo, you know, or whatever like that, if you know those hymns. And so um, it's, it's, it's one of those things where... Why not create this atmosphere? Paul says, so what's the outcome about all these things? When you come together, each one is bringing an expectation and an opportunity and becoming a prepared conduit for God to work. But let it all be done to build 
everybody else up. So just by you coming a couple minutes early, and even if nobody is here and you're sneaked off at a corner praying saying, Lord, I open myself up to you. I just want to kind of run some, run some water through the hose for a little while and, and let things clear out. Lord, even if it's just someone that you want me to encourage, help me to have accurate perceptions. Help me to see. Help me not to miss a prompting from the Holy Spirit so you can use me. All of a sudden, when those moments come, you have some money in the bank now, prayerfully, and it builds your confidence that you could really step out and be used of God. And then that bottom part, let it be done for edification. The whole reason why you're coming is not so you can be, you know, hot shot. Your whole reason is coming is, Lord, who do you want me to encourage today? How can I be used by you to build and strengthen your family? And that motivation is the chapter 13 love stuff. Because Paul says in 13.1, okay, so I'm paraphrasing, but okay, so great. So you can speak in tongues until your lips fall off. Fine, but if you do it out of selfish ambition, not caring for others, not selfless love, then it's just noisy gong. And in the Greek, that word is country music, actually. And so, so, but he, or insert whatever music you don't like in there. But he's saying, hey, what is designed to be an oracle of God to strengthen people has instead turned into something that's the exact opposite, fingernails on the chalkboard. So a lot of this has to do with you and I being preparing ourselves as a conduit to be used of God. And the context of what Paul is teaching is in like a local church, but how many know these gifts work outside of the walls of the church as well too? And like what happens if you get all weird, like an all prophetic to the cashier and go, for the Lord would say unto thee, my children, my children, whatever, you know, thou with the, you know, the, the uh, grocery store vest on or whatever and all this kind of stuff. But how many know the less weird we are, the easier these gifts flow? Wasn't it Jesus who said a spoonful of sugar helps the... You know the verse. Yeah, no. But he put it this way, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And so it's, it's one of those things that maybe we should look at the conduit as we begin our prayer time. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you. Um, you can stand and pray. You can kneel and pray. You can come to the front. You can move around, whatever you want to do. But let's just spend the, maybe the first four or five minutes of our prayer time examining our conduit and saying, Lord, would you help me? Now, all of us, we got problems, right? I mean, look at, it, look at us. Uh, we have issues. We, you know, none of us are perfect. None of us were raised by in the ideal Petri dish with no issues, no problems. None of us have had a perfect uh, spiritual history of perfection without any sin and no temptation, you know. But we come from that basis. Don't let that think make you think that you are excluded from being used of God. You have read the Bible a little bit, right? The only perfect people God ever used was Jesus. Everybody else, problems. Abraham, worst husband in the Bible, right? Would you have him preach your marriage conference? Sarah's like, seriously? I mean, he's all right, but, you know, he doesn't respect me very much. Moses, murderer. Jacob, Liar. Rahab, prostitution history, you know. I mean, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. David, a lot of issues there. He liked the women and, and, uh, 
and had uh, was actually into porn, wasn't he? Right? Watching Bathsheba. So, and I'm not justifying it and saying, hey, that's okay, play fast and lose with God and he'll help you anyway. But I am saying that each one of us has issues that we need to prayerfully bring before the Lord and these issues do not disqualify you from using, being used of God if you bring them to him and you invite him into those things and welcome his transformative help and more purity and grace from the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people go, well, you know, I'm just a brand new Christian. I've seen brand new Christians being used in extraordinary levels of the power of God simply because they believe him. So why not take some time and let's work on our conduit, stand up where you're at. And then, then in a few moments, we're going to begin the healing prayer time and simultaneously, we'll have a space for people to be baptized in the spirit. Thanks, Pastor Nick. Matter of fact, if you would play hot for teacher, that would be really great and follow that Van Halen line there. All right. Um, I don't even know what that is, but Pastor was talking about it before service. So I don't know. No, that's not. My wife always says, I know how to kill a moment. Sorry, it's just, that's what it is. I apologize. It's blame it on ADD or something. All right, so do me a favor. Shake out your arm, shake a leg, left foot in, left foot out, right foot in, right foot out. Shake it all about. You know the thing. You've been sitting here for a while. If you've been, how many have been at every service? Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night? You receive a gold star from Jesus. You have now... When you get to heaven, because of your good works, God has moved you from living in a golden van down by the river into a single semi-detached condo on a golden street because of your works of righteousness. No, not at all, not at all. But think about that. If you've been here, you've sown probably five, six hours spiritually outside of your normal routines, and you can likely expect spiritual outcomes in a stronger way in your life. Because whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. And so pay attention to that and, and, and cast your eyes. So let's just, if you're welcome to stay in your seats or mingle around, just get comfortable for a moment. Let's just lift our hands. I love kind of cold starts on spiritual exercise because a lot of people think you got to kind of be like rose petaled into the presence of God and you got to hear some great motivational story. And those things are fine. But did you know that you can literally, God is as here as he can be right now, whether you perceive him or not? So would you just, as the writer of Hebrews says, boldly approach the throne right now? Come on, press through right now. Lift your voice with me if you'd like it. And even if you wouldn't, try it out. Lord, I need you tonight. I'm so hungry for you. I want to behold your glory in your temple among your people. I want to see your transforming supernatural ways. Build your kingdom. Strengthen your family. Be signs and wonders to those outside of the kingdom to see the reality of your glory. Jesus, would you use us for your glory? So I ask you, God, to work on my conduit. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be some wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting pathways, I pray. Thank you, Lord. God, help me to be more like you in my motivations, I pray. The reason why, I mean, you have this wonderful way of kind of purging that and more I walk with you. I don't care if anybody ever knows it was me that was used of you. Use me for your glory outside of church, Lord, my family, my workplace, 
interactions. I give you dibs, Lord. You can tap me on the shoulder anytime. Just show me what to do. Teach me. Teach me. I welcome you, Lord. anyone in this room is overwhelmed with condemnation from the enemy that you know they're never going to amount to anything they're never they're totally disqualified it's like they shouldn't even be going to heaven it's a clerical error because of all they've done and they just want to kind of mind their business so God doesn't see they really don't deserve to be there or whatever those sorts of sentiments I pray right now that you would place the robes of your righteousness upon those let them feel that the righteousness doesn't come from them it comes from you and give them the power to live above and to say no to temptation i pray right now god with a very little fanfare that you would break the back of habitual sin or addiction in this room and for those watching online just by your resurrection power give that power to your servants right now overcoming power and break that condemnation cycle that I so commonly hear people come to me about at the altar well you know I just God come and do that work by your spirit revelation work in their hearts and lives workings of miracles Lord Jesus thank you Lord thank you Lord brother I believe there's a slide I was going to ignore but it should be like the one that says uh, there's like four things on it towards the end I think it's ahead of this this slide yeah yeah awesome you're amazing so look at these just for a moment some practical helps in looking finding perceiving gifts Um, you have to listen in the right spot so again I always try to be clear about this typically we're looking we're so used to looking with our intelligence at things and there's validity to that because God's given us our brain he created us but these supernatural giftings aren't the product of your thinking and of your logic and of your deduction and of your "Mm, well you know what you know God with my plan and your power we can really work this thing out and we want to be really careful to never put off that our own ideas are actually God's because that would be a big fat lie right so we look in the right place. You listen. Like, like, how many of you just in the last few moments you sensed God's presence? That spot, that warm inner spot where you're aware of God, however that comes to you, that's the place you incline and listen to. Get in that spot and listen. Lean in. And you're not trying to go, oh, let me make up something. You're trying to lean in and listen. That's the spot you listen to. Then secondly, slow down. What I found the biggest mistake I made is a novice mistake but I made it for many years whenever I'd sense the Holy Spirit's leading power presence I wouldn't know what to do and because I'm so uncomfortable in that moment because I don't feel like I possess the skills I want to hurry up and get it over with so I'm uncomfortable for the minimal amount of time my comfort is not an important thing in this moment and I found whenever I'm in a hurry I categorically miss God so slow down I'm not saying drag it out like I've done this service but I am saying um, slow down and just listen and lean in because when you're in a hurry you're going to tend to trust your own judgment without question but when you slow down you're able to weigh and discern things a little better 
then number four go or number three go fishing for the gifts i mean not literally but stop and like you walk into walmart how many know there's like lots of lost people in walmart especially the later it gets at night good night man the vampires come out around 11 p.m and you're walking around there you're like you're there for your cream and sugar but you ask the lord as you're walking those aisles lord is there anything you want me to do or say someone you want me to talk to go fishing for them you know you're in a church service and if you feel like man somebody should be prophesying well why would god let you know that maybe he wants you to be the one well i've never prophesied before well that doesn't mean that you can't because paul said everybody can you know you're in a life group or something life groups are the best spot for people to get their feet wet in the gifts because it's just community and every you know everybody doesn't feel like so much is at stake and you're able to say hey you know i don't know what this means anything but i just feel like we're supposed to pray for eyes and someone across the thing starts crying across the chairs over there because they just had a bad report from their eye doctor today that they've got i don't know wazowski syndrome you know with the one eye whatever it is and you're like well let's pray for that and and um and you can begin to hear and lean in and listen in these community groups like that. It's an incredible way to hone in. But go fishing. And then finally realize the ultimate goal of any gift is expressing God's love to others, people not being doing a flawless performance. In fact, most of the time when you're being used in the gifts, you will be very aware of your broken humanity and incompleteness. And when the moments when the Holy Spirit is upon you, you're not perfect, you're anointed. There's a big difference between too and so your main goal is not having a flawless you know chatterbox performance where you just say everything right recite your script and then sit down and then everyone else, you know, at the end of it your job is to communicate god's love and presence through how he's being using you so really caring and loving for people is much more important than getting everything right and he'll help us in that. Like I found if I pray for someone for healing and I just go pray some kind of Helen Steiner Rice prayer, oh Lord, you know, whatever, do this thing and pray, it's fine. But if when I pray for that person, if I'm more concerned that they get slathered on the love of God to where they're almost tempted to think by the time I'm done, they're God's favorite, they end up getting healed a lot easier. And so creating those environments, if you hear a prophetic word that is loveless, you pretty much go, mm, I'm not so sure about that one. If it's all, you know, uh, uh, judgment and condemnation, that's not the typical prophecy that Paul says all of us can do. The prophecy that all of us can do is edification, build us up, edify, build, um, uh, exhort, encourage up, comfort, calm down. It expresses God's love in those circumstances. So this love business, God's love being expressed is the measuring stick on this and the main goal. That's what we're worrying about. Does, is the love of God being expressed through? I found when you worry about that, everything goes really easy, and God tends to move in powerful ways. And I believe we're going to see that in just a moment. In just a moment. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do two things at once. In a second, I'm going to invite anyone that says, "Hey, I want to be baptized in the Spirit." Whether you prayed about this before or not, um, maybe maybe you prayed on Friday night and, and you were praying and God really moved upon you, but the new language didn't come. Get your carcass up here and let God feel it. People are like, well, they're going to think something's wrong with me. We already know something's wrong with everybody here, right? All right? And, and then, so we'll invite those to come forward real quick and maybe some partners and prayer partners can help me or leaders can help me pray for those. But then everybody else in this room, we're going to pray for healing. 
You go, well, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm all right. But do me a favor. Just stop and think for a moment of your physical state right now. Everybody in this room, unless it's some rare exception, there's something wrong there. Whether it's a mole or a wart or a zit or something, you know, on the scale, maybe, God forbid, there's even some critical or, again, God forbid, even terminal diagnoses here. We just don't know. But do me a favor, just to demonstrate how much we need God to remind you, do me a favor, turn to your neighbor and get your finger right up in their face, like a little too close, like more than you, and just tell them there is something, for real, there is something wrong with you. All right? Right? It's true, isn't it? So what we're going to do for, we'll have those come forward for spirit baptism. Everyone else in this room, I'm going to invite you in just a moment just to get in groups of three or four. Everyone say three or four. So that's not two or five or six because we'll help us several dynamic issues and also will help us resolve and, and be done at the same time. This will take like six or seven minutes. If you're not coming forward for spirit baptism, I'm going to ask you to create a healing prayer group of three or four people. When you get in that circle, do not hold hands. Just encircle. You can stand up, sit down, move to an aisle, whatever is comfortable. And here's how it works. You just elect someone to receive prayer first. Nancy, you're first. Okay? And then, is that is that your name? Okay, I just, okay. All right, you're first, Nancy. That was a, hey, Nancy, you have a prize too. If you just reach underneath your chair, I put a gift there for real. Just reach right. There's a piece of gum right there for you. All right. You're a double winner tonight. All right. So, um, but um, yeah, so you, you're going to pray for one person. So what you'll do is you go, hey, you know, you're, you're first. What's your name if you don't know it? They'll tell you the name. And then you're going to allow that person just to tell you a couple things they'd like to receive prayer for. Don't get in any big story. Just a label. Hey, you know, I'm struggling with headaches and I've got allergies and whatever. Whatever they need. By. And if you're very private, you know, and you don't want to give people your HIPAA rights, you can just say, hey, it's unspoken. That's cool, too. We're all, we're not going to, no one's going to get upset. It's unspoken. Tonight, if you come in this room and you're not sure that you're right with God or that God has forgiven your sins, you can say that to the group, and every group in this room will be able to pray with you to, so you can make things right with God, all right? So you're going to pick someone, you're going to hear their need just real quick, like 10 seconds, and then everyone else in that prayer group is going to encircle that one person. You can lay hand on a shoulder if that's okay, and just begin to pray. But your idea in praying is not like every group will have like an extrovert that's going to be really loud. But it's not like let the loud person pray and the quiet people go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's your job is all three of you are like fire hoses. Your job is that that person receiving prayer can hear your words of godly love and concern and faith for them. And you're just going to slather that person, not only what they say, but anything else as you slow down, anything else the Holy Spirit might say. And you could turn it in the form of a blessing, you know, like, oh, Lord, bless their finances if you feel that, or, you know, bless their whatever. Just follow the Lord. Just kind of your job is let them encounter the love of God. You'll all feel it's time to wrap up you know, in like 30, 40 seconds a minute. And you'll go, okay, now next. But in this opportunity, we're allowing the gifts of the Spirit to flow through His body, allowing God to send the water through your conduit, you know? And the Bible told us James, the half-brother of Jesus, commanded the church to pray for each other so that we may be healed. And that's underneath general faith. 
how much more will every group will be operating under general faith? God can, and God really responds to that, James 5 says. But how much more then can God also operate when he'll sneak here and there a little gift of faith, a little gift of healing in that, and we'll see some really wonderful things from God. Lord Jesus, would you gift your body as you desire right now? I ask for 100% of the gifts that you have to be manifested here tonight to be caught and shared and manifested. Help us in our weakness too, Lord. Put the training wheels on this. And Lord, let this reap long-term productive effect, not only in the actual healings that take place, but also, Lord, in the days ahead as we share your grace and love to others. Amen, amen. Okay, real quick, if you want to experience spirit baptism, sneak up here real fast. Maybe a couple prayer partners can help me. Otherwise, would you just get in a group of three or four? Make no big hairy deal. Just turn around and grab a couple people. If you've got more than four, vote somebody off your island. I mean, don't be rejecting on them, but you know, and so you can get done real quick. All right, we want more than one person praying for it, the one at a time. Awesome, awesome. Anyone else for spirit baptism? Sneak up here. I'd love to give some uh, some instruction real quick.